0: Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Good morning. Oh, Look at you all. My name is Janet, and I have the privilege of speaking this morning. It's going to be a different morning, because I love a story, especially a juicy story that has a funny or an embarrassing moment about it, and I especially love really good Bible stories. I love putting myself into the story and trying to think, what would this person be thinking and feeling or smelling or hearing, and today I'm going to tell you the most outrageous story, and it's got it all. Whatever you're thinking, it has it, except romance, which you're probably got for. It is a story about mercy and grace, and those are words that are bandied about a lot in this room for good reason, but let me just make sure we really understand what they mean. I'm going to give you a very simplified analogy to help. It's not going to explain all of it, but hopefully some of it. Okay. Imagine your dad has just made cookies, chocolate chip cookies, that meet all the dietary restrictions that you hold. There are no hidden raisins or zucchini in these cookies. Mom did not make these cookies. Dad made these cookies. Oh, yeah, and they are warm and gooey, and they smell like heaven, and they are on the kitchen counter. And you walk into the kitchen, and you see them, and you smell them, and you think to yourself, I know they're for dessert, but who's going to care if I take one? And you take one, and you bite it. And three bites in, Dad walks into the kitchen. Ooh, ooh. Now Dad has some options. Option number one is called mercy, and it looks like this. Ah, bud, you know those were for dessert. I forgive you, but don't take any more. Okay, that's mercy. Mercy is not getting the consequences we deserve. Okay, option number two is called grace, and it looks like this. Ah, bud, you know those were for dessert, but you must be hungry. I forgive you. You know what? Have another one. (gasps) Ooh, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy, forgiveness without consequences, and grace is undeserved kindness. Mercy, I forgive you for taking the cookies. Grace, have another cookie. Mercy, not getting the bad we deserve. Grace, getting the good we don't deserve. Who would rather grace over mercy? Yes. But now let's take this a step further. God's grace looks like this. Ah, bud, you know those were for dessert, but you must be hungry. I forgive you, and you know what? You can have my cookie at dessert tonight. God's grace is a sacrificial grace. It costs him something. And I know what you're all thinking. I know what you're all thinking, where's justice? Janet, there's another option here. I'm a parent, I know what you parents are thinking. Where's justice? How's this kid? How am I gonna learn not to take the cookie? How do you learn without consequences? How do you grow without consequences? I get it, I understand it, and I agree with it. But the story from the Bible that I'm gonna tell today is about someone who's asking God for justice and God keeps giving mercy. The story will be told in three parts. I'm not going to tell you who the story is about. I'm going to keep you in suspense because I like doing that. But hopefully we will each all catch a glimpse of ourselves in the story this morning, and we'll see a bigger picture of the radical, uncomfortable, wild, and sacrificial mercy and grace of God. There was once a man named Sea Legs Sam. Sea Legs Sam has sailed the high seas for many years. His skin is so tanned, it looks like your mom's purse. He has so many tattoos, there is not room for one more. Sea Legs has a random assortment of teeth and spits up to 10 yards. Sea Legs Sam is not a pirate, but he could be. He is a merchant marine, moving food and other sellable goods from one place to another. And at this point in Sea Lake Sam's life, he has just loaded up some pickled onions and barrels of fake Lucky Charms into the hold of his ship, the Scurvy Dog. And he's heading to sell them in Tarshish. His crew of hardy men are with him. Thank you. They've made this trip many times before, and he smiles to himself at the lucky life he leads. Up go the sails. Hurrah! See, like Sam walks his deck and calls out commands, swab the deck, tie that thing, put that over there. <laughs> life is under his control, and it feels good. But a few hours into the journey, A horrible storm suddenly picks up on the sea. Not just a horrible storm, the most horrible, terrible, incredible storm that Sam and his crew have ever seen. The rain is coming down, not in droplets, but in bucketfuls. The wind is blowing so hard they have to wrap the ropes around their arms to keep from going overboard. The waves look like they're ten stories high. Even Sea Lake Sam thinks he might throw up, and he has never puked off a ship in his life. Everyone is screaming and panicked and frantic. They come to the realization that they need to lighten the boat or they're going to die of exhaustion from all this rowing. So off go the pickled onions, off go the lucky charms. Nothing is helping. (laughs) Dirty Doug, another sailor on the ship, has the idea of prayer. So they all start screaming out to the gods, the god of water, the god of wind, the god of trades, the god of night, any god they can think of that they might have angered in some way. Others' offers are being made God of the waves, I'm sorry, I cheated at cards last night. God of the wind, I'll never lie to my kids again. God of the waves, you can have my mother-in-law. Just save my life. <laughs> sea like Sam goes down into the ship's hold and starts frantically searching for something else to throw off. He opens a door and finds, to his utter astonishment and fury, a sleeping man. A sleeping man. He slaps him on the leg to wake him up. How can you sleep? He yells. The man opens his tiny eyes. This is a weasel of a man. His face looks pinched and judgmental. His, he looks around him like he's hiding something. There's a haunted look around his eyes. Get up and call on your God, says Sam. Maybe he'll listen to you and save us. And when Sam heads upstairs, he finds that the crew have all put names into a hat. We'll draw a name and find out who's responsible for this calamity, they say. Yeah, says Dirty Doug. Walk the plank. He seems a little too excited. (laughs) Well, there's one more name to add, says Sea Lake Sam. I just found a guy sleeping downstairs. His name is... Jonah. (laughs) In goes the name into the hat. In goes the hand of Sea Lake Sam. May the odds be ever in my favor. (laughs) He picks out a name guess who? Jonah is just pulling himself up from below, scrunching his face up against the wind and the rain. He comes face to face with a ship load of burly sailors. Who are you, they demand. The questions start flying. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? Who's responsible for making this trouble for us? He answers, I am a Hebrew, I am an Israelite, I'm a prophet, and my job is to worship the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the sea, the God of the dry ground. See, like Sam has never heard of this God, a God of everything, the sky, the water, and the land. Fear streaks through him like a lightning bolt. He looks around at the faces of his crew, and they look like he feels terrified. What have you done? Someone screams. I've run away, he yells back. God told me to go to Nineveh, and I went the opposite direction. Sam stomps down on his fear and looks into the shrewd eyes of this Hebrew man. What should we do to you to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, says Jonah, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great calamity has come upon you. See, like Sam, for all of his spitting and swearing and rather lawless life, does have a deep fear of angering the gods. And now he's thinking of a, of a god who doesn't just control the water or the wind, the rain or the land, but a god who controls all of it, and he knows he must do everything he can to save this God's worshiper. He must not kill Jonah. Row to ashore, harder, faster. Oh, everyone's frantic, pulling on the oars with desperation. There's probably a number of them who are crying, but with all the rain, who can tell? Nothing is helping. Sam looks at his men, and he sees his friends. He sees their children and families waiting at home for them. He sees his ship utterly at the mercy of this wind and waves. Please, Lord, he prays to this new God. Please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable if he's innocent. Have mercy on us, for you have done what you please. He nods to Dirty Doug, who grabs Jonah. Another man helps lift his legs. One swing, two swing, and over he goes. Sam catches a glimpse of Jonah's face before it hits the water. His cheeks are puffed out with held breath. His eyes are screwed shut. (gasps) And then he's gone. Instantly, the waves fall. Splat. All at once, all the rain hits the water. Sploosh. Sea Legs is looking out onto a completely calm ocean. The sun is rising, there isn't a cloud in the sky, it's beautiful, it's miraculous, it's awe-inspiring. He slowly turns and and sees his man strewn along the deck like discarded toys, panting, wide-eyed, slowly crawling to the edge of the boat so they can look out at the beautiful mirror-like sea. Time is suspended. For a moment, it's utterly silent. And then, a cry. God of Jonah, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. God of Jonah, God of Jonah, I will worship you forever. God of Jonah, my life is yours. Men are ripping rings off their fingers and gold earrings, sorry, out of their ears, holding them up in their hands to the heavens. God of Jonah, God of Jonah, accept my sacrifice. God of Jonah, all I have is yours. All of these cries and prayers were reverberating inside Sam, echoing in his mind, singing in his heart Yes, yes, God of Jonah, I am yours. He looks over the side of the ship, down into the crystal clear water, and sees a giant tail moving under the ship me again. So I've asked someone to assist me with sound effects, and this is your warning so it doesn't freak you out when it happens. Okay, I'm going to back up in the story a little bit. Jonah feels like he is being pulled in two. One man holds his head, another his, his hands, another his feet. They are swinging him back and forth and back and forth, trying to get enough momentum and height to throw his body over the side of the ship. The storm is raging. He'd open his mouth to scream, but it would just fill with water and he would drown before he even got in the ocean. He catches the eye of the captain standing at the helm. The captain looks terrified. They all look terrified, especially the human sacrifice who's about to go over the railing because Jonah can't swim. He he knows there's no coming back from this. He is about to die and it is all his fault. Why did he think he could run from God? That is his last thought as he is hurled through the air and into the water. It is freezing. The cold is like pain moving through his body. He's being flung around underwater like he's in a, a laundry machine. Then suddenly, he is still perfectly suspended. The sea It's as calm as a bowl of water on a table and clear. He can see fish moving around him. He can see land, what must be the base of a mountain, moving up through the water. He feels seaweed tickling his feet and then his legs. And Jonah kicks out and and finds the seaweed has wrapped itself around him. He recognizes that he has sunk deep. The surface of the water is far above him, and it is glowing with sunrise. I will never see the sun again, he thinks, and begins to thrash in the seaweed. There is a movement. Fish are suddenly darting away, swimming past him, and then a huge fish. He sees an enormous eye and a giant mouth coming towards him. Stuck in the seaweed, there's nothing he can do. His last glimpse is of a mammoth tongue, and then he loses consciousness. (laughs) Jonah awakes to utter blackness and stink. What feels like smooth skin, like, like the inside of your cheek, you know that feeling? that feeling is pushing in all around him he's breathing how is he breathing he's panting but recognizes otherwise he's whole there's no lost limbs he doesn't feel much bruising he can't move freely but he can he can stretch a little bit he feels his body being gently rocked back and forth and the weird walls is he dead a deep sound shudders around him. And cold liquid <laughs> pours in over his head. Something bumps his leg. Jonas screams. Ah! Silence echoes back at him. Darkness and stink. After some time, Jonah begins to notice rhythms in this suspended space. The rocking rhythm, which gets faster and then slower at times. The entry of liquid, usually accompanied by smaller somethings, entering this squishy space he's in. Fish are his best guess. The smell building to an intolerable stench. And then the liquid around him, sometimes it's all the way up to his neck, receding. At times, it's barely at his knees. The deep sound that shudders through him. He's not dead, he's inside something, something that's alive. A memory surfaces, a giant fish. Jonah's inside a giant fish. Jonah is furious. (gasps) No, this isn't real, he thinks. He's dreaming. He's traveling towards the afterlife. He's in the middle of the world's most elaborate prank. But no, quickly denial turns to tears. He has the worst life. No one else he knows has ever lived in a fish. And he's probably going to die in here, so he won't even get the satisfaction of telling anybody about this. It's so not fair. Ooh, I just spit. (laughs) Poor, poor, poor Jonah. There's nothing to do in the blackness and timeless void, but think. Snippets of his life race back to him. His life as a prophet, hanging out with the other prophets, arguing the finer points of scripture, people listening to him and taking him seriously when he spoke at the synagogue. What a life. And then that horrible day when God told him to go to Nineveh, that town filled with the worst kind of people, lawless, godless, The stories he's heard, he won't even speak aloud. They're so horrendous. The Ninevites. At first, Jonah assumed he was just hearing things. That can't be the voice of God, he reasoned. There's no way that God would want him, a prophet, to go to such a godless place. But no, again and again, every time Jonah would sit and listen for God to speak, it was always the same thing. Go to Nineveh. Jonah started reasoning with God They'll just kill me. They don't want to hear what you have to say, God. Don't waste your time on people who don't even know you or who don't want to know you. He imagined all the torturous ways they could kill him. Or worse, what if they believe Jonah and change? What if they repented of the wicked ways and turned to God? God would probably be gracious and then let them live. And then Jonah would be a laughingstock with the other prophets he hangs around with. There's nothing worse than a prophecy of doom that doesn't happen. And then Nineveh would claim Israel's God as their God. Jonah's God as Nineveh's God? No way. No way is Jonah going to share his God with the likes of the Ninevites. In the blackness, he remembers running away down to Joppa to board the scurvy dog paying that sea-leg Sam hooligan and climbing down into the belly of the ship to finally fall asleep, hoping the dreams of Nineveh wouldn't find him. It was a good sleep. And now he is slowly dying in the belly of a living creature, and it is really a truly, truly horrible way to go. Eventually, Jonah decides he would rather die at the hands of the Ninevites. He begins to recognize the grace of having a second chance to even make that decision. The undeserved kindness that he is alive despite disobeying a direct request from God. And the incredible power of God to make that storm and stop that storm. Jonah begins to worship. And a deeper, truer picture of God emerges in his mind. A God who loves the Ninevites, these poor people who are stuck worshiping worthless idols, statues they've carved with their own hands, hoping they can appease something in the universe. He wishes he could get out of this fish and start again. Make a sacrifice to honor God, the God of the heavens and the oceans and the land. Make vows of obedience and keep them this time. He speaks into the filth and stink and utter blackness pushing in around him. I wish I could tell the Ninevites that God can save them from the lives they're living. The rocking of his body suddenly speeds up rapidly. There's a rushing sensation, a squeezing around his body, a pushing on his head and his shoulders and on his stomach, and then a sliver of light, and boom! Jonah is on dry ground. It's been a month since Jonah was fish puke. Severely dehydrated, hungry, and in need of multiple baths. It took a while for him to get back on his feet. He has rode in a caravan to Nineveh with God's directions ringing in his ears, go to the great city of Nineveh and tell them what I say. He's done running. But Jonah has lost the compassion for Nineveh that he experienced in that dark and stinky fish belly. His past prejudice and hatred is back in full force. The closer he comes to the city, the more angry he feels. Nineveh has the reputation of being the filthiest baddest city on the planet his uncle went once because he heard of a really cheap hotel that offered falafels for free and he came home with the stories of horrible people doing horrible things truthfully Jonah is a little afraid but he has pushed that fear deep down below his hatred He hears the city before he sees it. It sounds like a party gone wrong. Music and yelling, rude laughter and shrieking. Jonah starts dreaming of the comforts of a large fish belly. He decides it will take him three days to make it to all the public markets, temples, and city gates to proclaim his announcement. Three days of torture. Significantly the same amount of time he spent being fish food. At least it smells marginally better. He stands at the city gates, hot and sweaty, bothered, takes a deep breath, throws his shoulders back, and steps in. Looking at the first person to cross his path, he proclaims in a loud voice, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But to his deep shock, Jonah is not met with the jeers and arguments and violence he expects. No, he is repeatedly met with confusion and fear. Within a few days, something that could only be described as a great silence has descended upon the huge city. A decree from the king himself has been posted on every building and it's being repeated by the few who can read. No one, no person or even animal is allowed to eat or drink anything. Everyone is supposed to stop whatever they're doing and call on God. The God of Jonah. No more evil. No more violence. Just pleading that God will change his mind. Jonah stands in the city square by the closed well and hears what begins as whispers, frantic breath prayers, asking for mercy, pleading for forgiveness. God of mercy, God of mercy, God forgive me, God forgive me. The whispers turn into wails and shouts and eventually the noise of repentance is louder than the partying had ever been. Jonah is annoyed. These aren't good people, he thinks. Not deep down. They're not really going to change. Give it six months and the city will be even worse than before I came. You can't just say you're sorry and think that will cover over years of bad behavior. This repentance is fake news. Ah, but I bet God's going to accept it. Jonah considers the fact that he has been good his whole life. He has been trying to gain God's favor his whole life. Except for the fish incident. He's been pretty blameless, at least in his own eyes. Good enough to be a prophet. These people, these Ninevites, they need justice, not mercy. Jonah lets this bitterness fill him up and make him feel like the superior human being he longs to be. He knows in some part of him that God is unhappy with his anger. But Jonah is in no mood to hear from God's thoughts on the subject. Isn't this just like God? He thinks. He looks up into the heavens and begins yelling, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to stop from happening when I ran away. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who changes his mind about punishment. I knew, I knew that if I warned the Ninevites what was coming, they would pretend they're sorry. And now you're probably going to spare their lives. You know what? You know what? Just kill me. I would rather die than be a part of this. And I'm not making it up. That is in the Bible. He said that. But God replied to him, Is it right for you to be angry? Yes, Jonah thinks, it is. Well, 39 days pass. 39 of the 40 days when Nineveh's prophesied destruction is to take place. 39 days of yelling in the city about destruction and nights bickering with God. Jonah has climbed a little hill east of the great city and built himself a little lean-to from some shade. He sits down and waits. Day 40 is only hours away. He's ready to see what, if God will do what he should. Fireballs or a flood or maybe the walls collapsing. Ooh, all sound like fantastic ideas to Jonah. He is sitting and waiting and the sun rises higher and higher in the sky. And the little shelter he's built isn't cutting it anymore. And Jonah begins to feel hot on his balding head. He looks around him to see if there's any leaves. He can make like a little makeshift hat or something. When suddenly a large leafy vine starts growing up behind him. Like it is growing so fast, he can almost hear it. This is amazing. The shoots are coming up. The leaves are unfurling. It has lovely large leaves and it smells like mint. Mm, It provides the perfect amount of shade. Its base is large enough for him to lean against. This is now a seat of honor. Mm, A seat worthy of a prophet. Jonah, for the first time in a very long time, is happy. Finally, God is acting properly, justly. A shady seat for his prophet and hopefully some epic judgment for the Ninevites. Jonah does not recognize the grace of this moment, the undeserved gift of this plant. He believes he has earned it. He watches and waits. He can still hear the murmurs of the city from up on the hill. Little snippets of prayers reach his ears. Please, please, my child. I'm sorry. I promise. Jonah rolls his eyes and leans up against his miracle plant. He knows these people. If God doesn't strike the city down tonight, the party will just start right up again tomorrow. The sound of hushed prayers is strangely soothing, and Jonah closes his eyes. He awakens. Ah, to the sound of celebration. He slept through the night, Ah, and he's hot and sweaty. The sun is beating down on him. The plant is lying in tatters on the ground, and a very hungry caterpillar, who is now a big, fat caterpillar, is lying on the leaves. Ah, What? No, this isn't right. How come the prophet is burning up, and then the Ninevites are celebrating. Jonah is consumed by his bitterness and self-pity, the sun, the heat, the sounds of celebration. He knew it. He just knew it. God has changed his mind and now his prophecy has failed. He looks at the dead plant and the fat, smug caterpillar. I just want to die, he thinks. God's voice is like a gentle whisper on his face. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah is sick of that question. Yes, he answers, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Again, God is kind enough to speak. You're angry that your comfort has been taken away, Jonah. That you're hot and annoyed. But I gave you that miracle vine. You didn't plant it or take care of it at all. You're you're angry that the city still stands, but I made those people. I planted them here, and I have been watching over them their entire lives. Shouldn't I be concerned about my creation? Shouldn't I care? There's 120,000 people down there who are just hearing about me for this first time. Shouldn't I care? And what about the animals? That's the last line of the book of Jonah in the Bible. And what about the animals? And it struck me this weekend as I was pondering this, that the most obedient characters in the story were the fish and the caterpillar. (laughs) We don't know if Jonah accepts God's grace or if he stays angry and bitter. We don't know if the Ninevites change or if they go back to partying. But the God of the whole Bible is the God of Jonah, the maker and the king of the heavens and the earth and the sea, and he loves his creation. Perhaps you like Jonah have been on the run. Perhaps you look at the at the world around you and you don't like who God seems to care for. The idea of grace available for everyone makes you uncomfortable. Or you feel that there's something you've done that God couldn't or maybe shouldn't forgive. Maybe you're a Ninevite. Maybe you're an almost pirate. The story of Jonah tells us that God is eager to forgive. He will accept the scraps of repentance and obedience that we give to him. His heart is bent on loving us, on loving the entire world. Or maybe you are comfortable in life. You find yourself sitting in a place of shade, in a place of judgment on the world around you. You have forgotten the grace upon grace upon grace that has led you here to this miracle plant growing above you. God asks us all, is it right for you to be angry at him, at yourself, at the world around you? Can we fathom The big picture of his compassion. Can we accept the sacrificial, relentless, beautiful grace and mercy of the God of Jonah? Let's pray. God, thank you for this story, this weird, crazy story that has made it through thousands and thousands and thousands of years to this day to speak to us and to call to us about your goodness, about your grace, about your mercy, about the fact that we are all in need. We all run in some way. We all hold bitterness. We all need forgiveness. And God, I thank you that just like you worked around Jonah in these miraculous, wild, and crazy ways, you are moving in our lives. You are moving in our lives around us, sometimes in ways we don't see. And God, I ask that you would open our eyes to see how you are moving today, how you are calling each of us, how you are speaking to each of us, how you are wooing and loving and forgiving and guarding and sheltering each of us. Will you open our eyes to a bigger picture of you today? Amen.